Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about blended families. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Micah Silver, and I'm a child care provider, and I use they, them pronouns. Today is the final episode of our As Told by Ginger series. All of these episodes are kind of one big arc, so we're just talking about the whole last ten uh, all as one section. Should you should people watch this these episodes? Do you think? I think you could probably skip all of the third season. Yeah. The first half of the third season wasn't awful, but like seasons one and two were definitely much better. For sure, you know it's always hard to end a TV show. Yeah. And if you haven't been watching up until now, definitely, definitely don't, don't need to. Yeah, it gets weird and like a Nickelodeon in the nineties weird. Yeah, in a way that feels like kind of unearned. Yeah, but anyway. Basically, the we're not going to go blow by blow, but the the arc of these last 10 episodes basically is the friends are moving to high school and the social dynamics are shifting. Darren and Ginger break up, break up and Lois and Dr. Dave finally get married. Yeah. Hijinks ensue. Yeah, weird hijinks ensue. Yeah. Uh, but... It's it's cute. It's good. You can follow us on Twitter at Anthro267 and you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Anthro267. We're in the midst of revamping our Patreon and adding a lot of bonus contents. So definitely sign up if you want to hear our random political rants and our love of Star Trek. Yeah. I also just want to do a special plea to, uh, if you can, just rate and review this show. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to this. That We don't have money to advertise the show in any way. So that is the only way that we can get other people to listen to our our humble little girlhood podcast. And uh, yeah, if, if you like this show and you listen to these episodes, certainly there are other people in your life and in the community who would enjoy this. So um, yeah, that would be, that would be super duper helpful and appreciated if you could do that stuff. We're really proud. Please help us. Yeah, share. I'm really proud of this show. And I think we do, especially in the last, you know, few months, I think we've really been doing a lot of really good, interesting stuff on this show. As always, thank you and enjoy. I was like, I was really excited to get done with it. And now that we're almost done with it, I'm like genuinely sad. I'm going to miss it. When did you start drinking coffee? I don't think I started drinking coffee until very late. I, yeah, I mean, it doesn't taste good necessarily. No, it does not. Um, And so I was one of those. I think I was like a like a coffee, like a non coffee snob Uh for uh like a very, very long time. Like, ugh, that stuff's gross. I'm never going to drink coffee. I don't even. And like, plus, I have ADHD. uh, Pretty fucking bad. And um, caffeine doesn't really work (laughs) the same way on people with ADHD unless I like mega dose it. Like if I drink a big Red Bull. That will get me like caffeine but I can't even drink like a regular Red Bull. Yeah, I I started a little bit in high school. Like I would drink like the really sweet Starbucks drinks or like the Panera bread because like I didn't want I didn't like the taste of coffee, but I liked how buzzy it made me. Sure. Um, well, 
There's also like a, pl- I think there's also like a placebo thing yeah. with coffee. And even, um, there's actually an effect where, I'm s- why do I have to, why do I know all this stuff? There's actually an effect where if you drink coffee regularly, your brain actually like slows down and activates your tiredness cues in anticipation Patient. of receiving the caffeine. That makes sense. I remember it making me feel very grown up. Like Totally. It's definitely like, well, I mean, it's your first experience with drugs. It is. It is your first experience. For a lot of kids. It wasn't yeah. my first experience with drugs, but it's a lot of kids' first experience. But yeah, because like, uh, there was a Starbucks in Barnes & Noble across the street from my school. Cause... <laughs> okay, so like, when you say things like sentences like that, it reminds me that we grew up on different planets. Yeah, you know what I it mean? does. It would be like, it's the same to me as if you said, to go back to the Star Trek analogy, like, oh, there was a holodeck in the Klingon, uh, you know, the Klingon mall across the street. It's like, none of those words are real things. <laughs> I do not believe you. I don't think I went into a Barnes & Noble until I was like 16. I spent a lot of times in that Barnes & Noble because... Uh, I would have to be go back to school for forensics trainings like at like, you know, five or six. So I would just go hang out with my friends in the Starbucks and do our homework. Sure. So like getting a coffee and sitting in a Starbucks. How very adult. Right. You know, at like 15. Work on your screenplay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It might be. It might end up being a play. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Coffee was definitely my first drug and I really got hooked on it while working at camp Uh because staff got coffee and I had 12 10 year olds under me. Right. Oh my God. And I am with them 24 seven. Yeah. And so like I'm up late past them making sure they all get to sleep and that everything's safe and I sleep like shit because I have a kid who sleeps walks and I have to make sure everyone's still breathing during the night and I'm a very anxious person who is unmedicated. Um, And then they're just like, here, have really sweet, creamy coffee. Cool. And you're like, and our cups are tiny, so you have to have like five of them to like feel anything. And then you're hooked. Yeah. Because uh, it is a drug. And caffeine withdrawals are the worst. Right. And I do think it's interesting the the like weird, complicated relationship we have with drugs in this country. Because like, you know, like caffeine is absolutely a drug and it absolutely can be addictive in the same way that like any sort of mind altering substance can be. But it's so funny. Like if I was at work and I was like, I'm feeling a little down. Who wants some weed? I'm going to run out and get some weed. Weed, 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 like, or even alcohol or, you know, heaven forbid, like, you know, you need an Adderall. You want some, you know, you want an amphetamine, pick up your day. Like that would be insane and I would probably get fired, right? But if I leave, if I'm like, hey, I'm going to step out on my lunch and get coffee, do you all want coffee? Of course, that's totally normal. And like it just like I'm not saying that shouldn't be the case. I'm saying that our like total, you know, hatred of other drugs is a little hypocritical, especially considering, you know, the amount of drinking 
we do socially in this country. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know my theory of why coffee is such an acceptable drug? Because it makes you more efficient and more able to produce excess value for your employer. Absolutely. Ding, ding, ding. Ring that capitalist bell. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. We got it. It's capitalism. It was capitalism all along. <laughs> Pulled that mask off early this episode. Um, but yeah, like the amount of pressure we put on people to perform much past their capacity. Right. And especially children in especially high school. Especially children. And especially like, I think a lot of kids start on coffee because of, A, you're right, like the pressure, the pressure in high school of having to be successful so that you can get into a good college, or in my case, so you can like get a lot of good scholarships to actually pay to go to college. Right. Like, that's way too much pressure to put on kids. And second, like, teenagers are not meant to wake up at six in the morning. No, they are not. Like, I remember when I was a teenager, I was probably staying up until one, two o'clock in the morning. Sounds about right. And then getting three or four hours of sleep to get to school at like seven in the morning. Yeah, because I would school ends at like, what, three thirty four. Yeah, I have sports practice. I have robotics. I have theater i have whatever i'm currently using to occupy my time to not think about anything yeah and then that ends at like six or seven and then i have four hours of homework that i have to do because sitting in class for eight hours is not enough time to learn and show you that i'm overly productive yeah and like this feeds into another point and i don't want to get too off track but giving your kids lots of homework and being a hard teacher to pass is not a good thing. Right. Oh, yeah. This is the other uh, Ms. Zorsky, right? Right. And we've had a lot of other, like, hard-ass teachers in yeah. the show. And, like, all of her teachers, like, in high school, I know it's, like, played up to show, like, you know, how exhausted she is. But, like, everyone's demanding big amounts of homework right away. And, like, right. that's not okay yeah like your kids aren't gonna perform well like that they don't know the material like it's one thing to be like write an essay about something you did this summer or show and make it a short one i just want to see your writing style right i just want to know who you are and how you write exactly like it's two pages right you know not read five chapters and have a book report back to me in two days well and we also get an illustration in this episode of like how that kind of like grinding level of work doesn't account for people's like individual life experiences. Absolutely. Like Ginger is clearly going through something and she's clearly having a hard time. And frankly, it's not fair that she has to keep up on these deadlines. And frankly, it's not fair for any kid to have to keep up on deadlines all the time because we go through stuff, you know? Yeah. Her teacher being like, you were like, yeah, she, her appendix bursts and she's like stuck in the hospital. And her first thing her teacher says to is makeup work is on your own time. Right. Like, thank you so much. for Like punishing me for literally my body doing a thing that I can't control in any way. If you don't like kids, don't work with kids. Like, go teach college if you want adults to be your students. Well, it takes a lot more schooling to teach college. Yeah, well, and it's not so much fun to boss around adults, I guess. Right. No, because that's the thing, right? Like, when you teach college, if you're a shitty hard-ass like this, people will just drop your class. They'll take a different section of the class. 
they won't do it at all or just not show up or they might even actually like push back i you know yeah had plenty of people in lectures be like i don't think that's right like i don't agree like they'll actually push back and be like no i think what you're asking is too much and that's not what a lot of these like hard ass teachers want they just want to be able to control someone and you know have that kind of like unchecked power get into kink you don't need to teach children this is i've been seeing a lot of people talking about like the general lack of respect and appreciation that teachers get so i don't want to give the impression that i like am shitting on teachers oh god no like i think teachers should be the highest paid people in our entire society. Absolutely. Uh, They should get any material they need for the classroom for free. I just also think they should be trained a lot better. Yeah. And again, I'm mostly looking at male teachers. Yeah. Very often. Although it's funny that in this, uh, in this show, it's always female teachers. The male teachers are actually pretty thin on the ground in this show. They are, uh, like a lot of schools, they're mostly an admin. Right. Um, but but we do have to in this episode we do have a male teacher who is so disgusting and so problematic it just makes me want to scream because one Carl's new science teacher tricks him into thinking that he's dying right which he is a child right he is a child who hurt your child somehow and therefore you are holding on a vendetta you are the professional. And the adult. And the adult. Do not stoop to their level. Do your goddamn job. Right. This whole Carl storyline of like giving all of his teachers his like big fat dossier with his background and everything. Like that's such a bullshit move. Right. Like I think part a big part of being in school is giving children room to push at the borders of their identity to figure out who it is they are and like as we see in carl in these next handful of episodes like he's really trying to grow up and like become what he sees as like a responsible yeah he is and like especially when you give a kid a transition from schools like trying giving them a chance to start over is exactly what they need vital yeah it's like that's what a lot of them want and what a lot of them need is to have a fresh start with teachers who don't know their reputation where they can, you know, start to build again and be totally. someone different because kids are going to hold them to their past. Right. And that's hard enough. You do not need teachers having these expectations of you that you are already going to misbehave and you're never going to be able to prove yourself. Right. I literally haven't thought about this at all so i genuinely want to know your thoughts do you think it would be better or worse for kids to break up grades more you know into different schools slash mix like schools and classes more to give them more opportunities to interact with more different people because on the one hand I do think there is that, like, if you, say, had school that was, like, K through 3 mm-hmm. and then 4 through 6 or, you know, and then set whatever it is. Like, if you broke them up by three years yep. instead of, like, 6 or 4, it would give more opportunities for kids to, like, 
reinvent and figure out who they are. But also there's the lack of stability, which we know is really bad for kids. So I've thought about this a little bit. Yeah. And. Because I do think K through six is too much. Too much. So, so I think early education should be like three through six and like. Uh, yeah. kindergarten should be part you can have it still be kindergarten totally. but it's part of it's... pre-education right I think there should be a public school kindergarten I Absolutely. think that's necessary well I mean I also think there should be free public like daycare Absolutely. And, and like pre-education like you're saying care for all kids Absolutely. all the time yeah so I think you have preschool kindergarten in the same building right um, I think then you have first through third as that makes sense elementaries and have it be I still small classes still like good one on one, but larger population schools right. fundamentals fundamentals. Uh, you know you do that. Uh, five through six uh, as another one as your next four through six four through six. Excuse me. So four through six as your next group, and you have. A little bit. You still have smaller classes, still fundamentals. You can start breaking up kids a little bit into like specialized groups if they're right. if they want to and they're showing specialization. Yeah. And then seven through nine, I think, should be together. Right. Um, and I think that's a lot of community building, a lot of like self awareness, right. a lot of uh, start about your emotional growth and your emotional well being. I think you should be in therapy and group therapy at least twice a week, especially in those especially in that. In- Seven Section. through nine yeah. is such a tumultuous. Yeah, age. I think that is more about emotional growth and uh, think more summer camp with a side of education, right. less education with and a side of therapy. Especially if the education is, I don't want to say more rigorous, but more direct, direct in the early years. Yes, then I totally think it would be prudent. To have that kind of middle section where there really isn't a lot of academic rigor. No, this is where you start to figure out where you want to specialize. This is like where you start following your right. special interests. Right, and the, ta- the, the job here in this time is who are you? Who are your friends? What do you want to do? What do you want to be? What interests you? Right. You do, no pressure no. to do those this things. Is your, this is your time and space to explore yourself. Right. Because this is where you start coming into yourself. And then I think you should have 10 through 12 as schools and those be your like specialty. Like you can have your general education ones for kids who aren't ready to specialize, but you can have your art schools, you can have your science schools. And like college prep, Prep. if that's a thing you're interested in. Right, exactly. And then... Like I think the AP and college credit in high school stuff should start a lot earlier yeah i think yeah i think kids not that i think there should be pressure to do that stuff no. but i think it should be an option that's available for kids who already know they're gonna do college right for kids who are showing the want and ability to follow those courses right because again the one thing i like about teaching at a montessori school and the one thing that i think it does teach and is a good sign of what kids could be like is how much independence the kids get and how much they want to learn on their own right and like choose learning above yeah other things for the sake of learning right it's like almost like when you give kids an opportunity to invest in things they will exactly but when you force it down their throats it makes them resent it yeah exactly
And again, every kid should be getting free food, free therapy, if, you know, resources, if they don't have them at home and a free, safe place to stay and do their homework if they can't if go home, home. isn't a place. That's, and free internet and yeah. free laptops. Yeah, I definitely think like breakfast, lunch and some kind of significant like after school snack, even Absolutely. if we're not doing like a full breakfast, lunch and dinner. Like I think if we, you know, we do breakfast and lunch and then you know a sandwich and a bag of chips or like because a lot of kids like and well stocked vending machines of healthy alternatives to snacks that are not just chips and yeah candy bars because like i don't know in my family a lot of the time and like i'm sure a lot of people in my generation like my parents worked late all the time so like even if we were gonna have dinner it might not have been until seven or eight at night right and like it's impossible especially when i was in middle school my middle school was so crowded that they had like four different lunch periods. Yeah. So um, by the time I was in ninth grade, my lunch period was at 10, 15 in the morning. So to have to go from 10, 15 having lunch, which like you're not even hungry by then to seven or eight o'clock at night without a meal in between is That's fucking insane. brutal. Yeah. And like I, and was, especially as a child who's like taking in all of those extra calories. Right. for growth. And like, I was relatively lucky. I could go home and make myself food. Like, that's how I started cooking. But, like, I shouldn't have to. No. Lots of kids are not as lucky as me to have those on-hand, like, resources at home. Anyway. Yeah. And schools should not be structured eight one-hour classes each day. No. And teachers should have more time to prep and should be getting paid at least three times as much as they are. I think like football players should not be making more than teachers. No. I'm sorry. I know you put your body at risk and you do a lot of damage to your body. But like, but what are you contributing? Teachers are literally preparing like entire generations of human beings to be conscious adults in the world. Like how could anything be more important than that? I, I truly think like teacher salary should start at 150 grand. Yeah. Like, you should make tech money to be a teacher because it's a hundred times more work than being a fucking project manager at Google. Speaking of hard ass teachers, Ginger gets a full day Saturday breakfast club style. Yeah, she does. I literally have fell asleep in class, (laughs) right? Like this, a thing that all teenagers do at some point because like it's exhausting school, growing up. It's exhausting growing up, first of all. And like school is not designed around the hours that children, teenagers in particular, no. actually function. No, you. Well, an all day detention on a Saturday is bullshit. Yeah, it seems absolutely evil. bullshit. And like, especially if you as the principal aren't even sitting in the room with them. Like, what's the fucking and just having them sit there for six hours. What's the fucking point? Right. What are they going to learn? Nothing. They're, nothing. Yeah. The point is not for them to learn. The point is for them to be punished for nonconformity. Right. Which is, again, not how you're going to teach kids anything. Right. It's just. It's just how you make kids resentful of any kind of, like, structure or authority. Yeah, exactly. In that episode, too, we also, like, really see the, like, start of the contrast of, like, how much power school sports have over a school. Yeah, I have a big note about that, too. Because, like, 
And like, again, I don't understand this, but it was true in my school about like, if you get on the football team, you are just instantly popular. Right. And instantly, like not just among your peers, but like among the faculty. Yeah. Too. Like, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'd have teachers like coming out of classrooms to be like, good luck at the game on Friday night. Like that you shouldn't get special treatment because of athletic performance and i know like this is another here comes the red flag this is another like capitalism thing where like sports are one of the few things that you can like charge and make money on yeah in education in general right and because you know they're children you don't have to pay them so it's effectively like free labor slavery yeah like child slavery. Yeah. Yeah. Kids don't need that kind of pressure. No. Not that kids shouldn't be playing sports. No. I do think that that's like an important thing. I just think the inflated salaries of sports figures um, has a kind of toxic effect on especially people who come from marginalized communities and have limited options on how to access that kind of wealth. Yep. I played softball and volleyball. You didn't have to pay to get tickets for those. And I still was competitive and had the benefits of playing on a team sport. Why is all sports not like that? Why does it have to be football like football and basketball in particular were always the ones that like were hyped up were big stars were like yeah it feels like those are also it feels like the most violent sports right are the ones we care the most about like at my high school it was football and hockey because mm-hmm. i mean like spash had not to brag but spash has one of the best hockey teams in all of Wisconsin, if not the best high school hockey team. Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, and it just is like, it's so evil because like, do you know how much money at my high school not only went into just having those clubs exist, but like scouting and recruiting? Like our our hockey team was so good and so well-funded that we had recruiters go to other like school districts and poach hockey players from other middle schools and pay them or subsidize their move to live in the district so that they could play hockey for us. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, like a college team or like an NFL team or like an NHL team. We had scouts who recruited people to play hockey. That's terrifying. Yeah, like imagine if all that money... And then, you know, fucking textbooks that were 10 years old and falling apart. Right, exactly. Also, like, what kind of pressure to put on a kid's athletic performance of, like, we're going to uproot your entire life, and if you don't live up to our expectations, it was for nothing. go die from your CTE. We don't care. Yeah. Jesus. I think this whole lump of episodes had a really, like, I... Was compl- I was so ginger and like w- fuck the football team, fuck yeah, the cheerleaders, same. like the royalty aspect. The like they walked around like they owned the school because they did, and putting that much arrogance into a child is just building on these expectations of social structures instead of doing the opposite of building community and showing understanding and teaching empathy. 
uh, and is just bullshit. And also students should not have that much control over other students because of their sports. Right. And like, I also think that it unnecessarily glorifies this kind of physical, violent kind of achievement. Yeah. Right. Like, I think I would be okay with a group, you know, ruling the school and getting more popularity and acclaim if they were the kids who were taking college classes or the kids who were learning a trade already or the kids who were, you know, in the, you know, junior Senate or mock UN, like doing things that actually contribute to society in an appreciable way, in a way that we should all recognize and appreciate and be thankful of instead of just children who are destroying their bodies for the entertainment of adults. And like as a femme presenting person in high school, having the queen, having the like top students all be these like dancer blonde, like they all looked the same. Right. Like they were all thin. They're all thin. They're all like lean. They're all white. They're all blonde, Mm -hmm. you know, and just like having it reinforced that like your body is going to set your status more than anything. And your looks is such bullshit and is so hard to unpack at that age because it's not true. No. Looks do help and matter in the real world, unfortunately. unfortunately. And it's stupid. Yeah. But they do not count as much as they do in high school. No. And yeah, high school's priorities are like so fucked up compared to the real world. Yeah. And it just like sets an unreasonable expectation for what being an adult is like. It really does. And I remember that transition from eighth to ninth grade and being like, or for you in ninth to 10th of like having all of these like new high school rules and like all of this, like uh, things that didn't used to matter and matter now. And just the cultural whiplash I had. Yeah, totally. Was a lot. It was very uncomfortable. Yeah. I just want to stop down just for a second and talk about how creepy it is that Dodie owns a ginger wig. It's so creepy. I Dodie is like a whole situation. Dodie is a whole ass situation and I would have dumped her ass years ago. Yeah, she's. Well, honestly, she's turned into a nightmare between eighth and ninth grade mostly. And her obsession with being on the pep squad is it's awful gross. yeah i have more thoughts about it in the next couple episodes yeah going forward yeah but yeah the last real thing that i had to say about this episode that i feel like sums up the end of ginger and darren's relationship and how that f- starts to trickle down is if you can't talk to your partner you should not be dating them yeah I think that is uh, one of the challenges of being in an early relationship is, well, because we don't kid- teach kids like emo- social and emotional learning, they don't really have the ability to like introspect and be honest because it, you know, is uncomfortable because they're not used to doing it. Whereas yeah. like if they had regular therapy sessions, this would not be so much of an issue. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, if you can't tell your partner that you got detention and you can't make it to their football game, yeah, that that's a red flag. Yeah. That's a red flag. Especially, like, like if it wasn't your fault, like, right. Ginger fell asleep in class. Like, it would be a different thing if, 
you know, she got caught like spray painting the side of the school and right. she got detention, then it would be like, okay, well, I did a stupid thing. That's the reason I can't go to Darren's game. But it's literally nothing. And she could just be like, hey, I really want to be at your game, but this fucking asshole gave me detention. Let's hate this asshole together right. instead of making me the bad guy. I have a lot of feelings about Darren. Yeah, he kind of gets terrible once he gets into football. Yeah. Which unfortunately is a thing. Happens. Yeah, he really gets uh, he gets swept up into the like popularity of it all right. and the, the fame power goes and, to his head. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, the power goes to his head. And I think a lot of freshmen deal with that when they're like first get to high school and they first get like n- people know who they are. Right, right. Yeah, they get a taste of that little bit of fame. Right. It can be intoxicating. I want to talk about one of the like big arcs in these last handful of episodes is infidelity. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting in the young kids and like it's reflected a little in the adult relationship too. like how broad the definition of cheating is. Yeah. Because in a lot of these, it's just like they're friends. It seems it would seem from the outside, like at least at the beginning, that uh, Darren and Simone Simone are just like they're friends. They hang out because like he's a you know he's, he's a, football a football player. player she's a cheerleader. She's a cheerleader. Like of course they have a lot of time together. Right. And it just seems so weird to me that like you're not allowed to have friendships or like close relationships with people of the opposite sex. Right. That seems weird. It seems very weird. And this is coming from a couple of gay people who like, you know, if we weren't allowed to like be friends with anyone that we were attracted to, we wouldn't be allowed to have friends. Right. (laughs) Right. But like also at the same time, I feel like it's a very straight culture thing to have this like distrust for your partner at all times Yeah, that like you don't. But like you can't trust in your relationship and there's like it's so fragile that a symbol like them having a friend that is not you could break it up. Right. And like that just makes you like it doesn't allow your partner to be as multifaceted as they are. And it is seems weird and possessive. Yeah. It seems crappy. Yeah. Because like it happens with them and it happens with ginger and this drummer kid orion and then it kind of also happens with dr dave yeah where like he literally is just caught like having coffee with a woman and suddenly that's a crime yeah it just seems really strange to be fair it wasn't a crime to lois everyone else blew it up everybody else freaked out about it which i also think is an interesting thing that you run into a lot if you're in a non-monogamous or like polyamorous relationship where it doesn't bother me if my partner dates other people or is happy with or like is intimate with other people but it bothers people outside my relationship yeah it does which I think, again, is one of those, like, I can't do any introspection, so I have to attack your relationship because I also am uncomfortable with monogamy, but I've never, you know, given it the thought or had the freedom to be able to examine it. Yeah. I remember 
when we were dating, you had brought in a date to the crocodile or something. I do remember and that. And some of the bitches saw you got out. Mad. Yeah. And like, I got a couple like pulled aside the other day and it's like, I don't want to be the one to, and they were like, who, like I saw, like, I was like, oh, was it, did it, they look like this? Oh, they had such a great time and they just looked at me like I was crazy and I'm like, we told you multiple times we're, we, yeah, we're, we're open. open, like, why should it matter? Why does it bother you what, who I'm yeah. dating? And I think it, it's sort of that same energy as people who have been fighting not to acknowledge you know, not to acknowledge that they're a little bit gay is the same thing. Of oh, like, yeah. Oh, I also am uncomfortable with monogamy and I also wish that I had this freedom, but it makes me uncomfortable and it gives me a lot of feelings that I'm not willing to unpack, which granted being in an open relationship is a lot of work, a hundred percent more emotional work. Yeah. Because they're like, not only are you dealing with like the emotions of your partner's partners, but also like your own and your partners like in relationship to each other. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of more effort. And again, I think people would be less scared of it if we taught any emotional literacy and like any skills so people could start learning how to look at themselves from an earlier age. So it wasn't so fucking scary. Yeah. Start therapy when you're a baby. Yeah. Therapy for all at all points is the (laughs) the motto of this podcast. Yeah. I think we do need to talk about Dodie in general, and we can probably just do one big conversation and then we don't have to keep stomping down for it. But the this girl's like pathological need for attention and approval is scary so scary and like this is exactly the kind of thing where she should have a counselor or a therapist checking in to be like hey why do you think this is happening why do you feel so desperate to have the approval of people you consider to be like your social superiors right yeah because like, like, do you think that comes from her willingness to do anything 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 to degrade herself to to not have boundaries to you know it's really bad it's scary and like she's so obviously not taken seriously the entire time and it's disgusting how like i think i find it especially annoying because i see a lot of myself in it Uh and like a lot of what i was willing to do in high school for attention and for recognition and it's never worth it yeah like it's never worth it and it never works. No. Because everyone can, the coach, as evil as she is, is right. Like, if you want it too much, it scares people and right. they don't want anything to do with you. Although I do have a note that that is some fucking neurotypical bullshit. Oh, absolutely. About how, like, you're not, and this is maybe one of the most, like, annoying to me, like, neurotypical things is, like, you're not allowed to be too excited or too passionate about a thing. Yeah. Because it turns people off when, like, literally the only way that, uh, like, that autistic people relate to each other is just, like, screaming about the thing that we, we are excited about. Yeah. So that is just, like, total anathema to me. Yeah. I agree. It is a very neurotypical thing. And I think... 
as someone who was trying to pass as neurotypical for a long time, it was something that like, I felt like I was the thing that was stopping me for so much is like that everything I wanted, I wanted too much. I wanted, I felt things too big. I, you know, took things too seriously. Yeah. And that was really, that was a really hard thing to unlearn. Totally. Dodie goes as far as faking a major injury. Yeah. Just to get, approval yeah i remember having a couple kids in my school that would do things like that i remember there was this one popular girl who when she turned 18 got a semicolon tattoo and like started wearing her like like showing off her self-harm scars like a badge of honor and i remember being so pissed about it yeah and like not being able to like tell my friends why right yeah, I'm like high key mad about that whole semicolon tattoo movement because, like you said, you're right. It does feel like glorifying what is a really terrible and destructive experience into something that is for sympathy and attention. I'm not saying you shouldn't get one. Like if it's it's your body, do what you want. Yeah, I'm you not know. gonna police anyone's tattoos. No, but like and I certainly have fucking stupid tattoos. I've know people who have gotten tattoos to help represent their mental health and the things. Yeah. And like that's fine and like that's part of being in your body and wanting to like share your story. Totally. But the way people like I remember it was not just in high like it, people in real life, but on TV that like people wore self harm scars. Like it reminds me a lot of Courtney pretending to be like all emo and shit to like right. get attention. And it's just like when it felt like I wanted, like I did it, but I didn't want anyone else to know. Right. I have conflicted feelings about this because I also was a kid who needed a lot of attention that I couldn't get at home. Right. And I definitely did a lot of these things. I did a lot of terrible, drastic things to myself to try and get that attention in a place that I could actually get it. So, like, I'm curious what the line between valid cry for help in the form of attention-seeking self-harm, like, where's right. the line between that and attention-seeking in general, like, And that's you know? why you need to have a therapist, so you can talk about it. Because, like, I would bet that a lot of those people who, you know, did stuff like that for attention also had some shit going on oh absolutely and like as an adult now like if i was feeling those things now it would be one of those things of like why am i so angry about this what is this doing why is this my reaction deconstructing my own reaction versus their action because that's what i'm in control of which i could have done if i had access to a therapist right but like as a teenager when you feel those big things i just remember loathing this girl i'm sure she had very valid reasons for doing what she did sure and don't like now i like don't really even think about it unless it's like i don't think of it as like uh i only did this for attention yeah um but like at the time i remember it was so black and white you know and it i think that if we 
if we let our children see the world in more shades of gray, they'll make better adults and better human beings. Mm -hmm. But do you think that some part of your loathing for this person had to do with the fact that your self-harm was not getting you the same level of attention? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Looking at it now, that was definitely a huge thing of like, of course I wanted someone to notice. Like, like that. Like, I think part of being a trans child is knowing that you need help. Yeah. And feeling like you're drowning and not having the ability to communicate or ask for it. Yeah. Because you don't even really know what it is. Yeah. You don't know what's wrong. You're just not right. But I, I just remember being, you know, especially between the ages of like 13 and 17, just feeling like I was drowning and I just wanted any adult in any situation to throw me a life preserver and just like, really try and drill down on what yeah was going on yeah and no one ever did i think a lot of it also feeds into the media that we're fed as especially as a young girl mm, of yeah. like if i am drastic enough if i am pretty enough if i do the right things someone will notice me and someone will save me and yeah. this feeling will go away right where that's not the case no you have to drag yourself out of that and yeah. it sucks it sucks it's really hard and like that was something that like i was still looking for when in my early 20s of like someone who would give me the answers for everything because i was i didn't know how to look for them by myself right right and and i think i didn't even know that there were answers to be found right you know I even remember going to see a therapist in college before I went to New Zealand to talk to you about my anxiety, which I realize now is not anxiety. It's autism. But I had a whole conversation about how disgusting and uncomfortable my body made me feel. And at the end of the session, he basically told me like, I think you're fine. It seems like you're handling it all. Okay. And I, I just remember feeling like, okay, well, I guess I'm just always going to be miserable. Right. Well, I guess. Because he wasn't willing to drill down and really try and uncover what it was that was giving me that feeling. Right. Because, God forbid, we actually talk about the problem. Right. I remember spilling my guts to my first therapist, finally being able to feel like I have a safe space to be like I'm drowning and I don't know why and I can't keep doing this Uh and then having all of that trust broken because she brought my parents in to talk about it same that was my exact experience with my first therapist which is like and it made me feel like I could never trust any adult no it took me years to find a therapist that I could actually trust and open up to. And it still took me a year of working with her to like dive into anything serious. Yeah. Like instead of having like, it felt like I was given that lifeline and I was like finally grasping onto something and I could have a moment to breathe. And then it was just yanked away from me. Yeah. 
and it just in a way that made it worse, worse. than if you had never done anything at all. Yeah, I, I like it. Like took the legs out from underneath yeah. me, and and I felt like I couldn't turn to any of my friends about anything at the same time. Oh, it sucked so much. Yeah, yeah, it really sucked. It sucked. Um, um, I really appreciate that Ginger has found a really cool in, uh, outlet for her feelings in yeah. music and this rock band. I think that's really cool. And I th- really like, as we already know, she's an amazing poet. So songwriting makes sense. And she wrote that song. That's camp, right. I think, the Copper yeah. Pony song. Yeah, that's right. So like, yeah. Plus, you know, she's kind of got like an Alana Morissette voice going on. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I have to say, I don't think I saw the whole dorky poet kid to lead singer in rock band arc coming. No, like, I, I didn't either. I think that's probably generally how, like, a lot of, you know, singer-songwriters, like, end up. Yeah, or for get, sure. get there. But I... You know, when the whole rock band thing started, I was like, is this the same ginger, the same like dorky girl that we met, you know, 60 episodes ago? I really like her character growth. I think it's so wonderful. Yeah, I just love how how generous this show is with its characters and allowing them to grow and change. Like even Macy and Dodie are completely different and are like on their own tracks. And I'm really appreciate that. Like no one all grow at different speeds. Right. Like it seems like some of them are ahead in different ways and have like different priorities. And like Macy is obviously clearly comfortable not moving as quickly and frantically into like high school and adult life. And like, that's fine. And no one ever sort of shames her about it. No, not at all. And I love it. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, Speaking of which I have an interesting note here that Carl and Hoodsy start reading romance novels. They do. And speaking of like differential development levels, it's pretty clear here that, like Hoodsy has already kind of like discovered sex and intimacy. Yeah. Like in his own brain. And Carl is not there yet. Yeah. And I think it makes him uncomfortable. Like as, you know, as children, like the idea of like sex and intimacy is uncomfortable. Yeah. Like that is just a natural part of it. But I also think as a masculine child, there is this sort of peer pressure to be sexual oh absolutely and sexually like minded very quick and like very intensely and i think it's frankly terrible yeah um and it's interesting it's cool to see this representation especially because i think i've always thought of carl as kind of the i don't want to say more developed but further along, along in his childhood yeah because then out like we see he's like got more social development than hoodsy in I, elementary school but like right it really I think that might just be it it's right. just that because hoodsy is autistic clearly he hasn't developed socially in the same way but we've seen over and over that he obviously has a much more developed sense of empathy yeah. and understanding than carl ever has yeah yeah, absolutely. And rational thinking, right? Like he is able to like think through plans in a way that Carl doesn't bother to. Absolutely. Yeah. 
anyway, I just I I love we, their we friendship. Finally, in these last handful of like when they move to middle school, we finally get some like interesting, cool, like meaty yeah. Carl and Hoodsy stuff. And I kind of wish it had come earlier. I do too, because it feels like we got robbed of like a whole season of Carl and Hoodsy being like actual children, children, yeah, instead of just like gross monsters gross sci-fi plots yeah. yeah um but i also we should talk about ginger and darren's breakup i was gonna say we gotta talk about first breakups that's a big one that's, that's a big one kind of the the big big giant rock in the middle of these episodes yeah is the the breakup first heartbreak is hard it's so hard it's, and I know we've talked about this before, but like it has to be hard. It's gonna be hard. There's like you can prepare for it all you want. Yeah. It's gonna like it's just gotta shatter you. It's gotta shatter you because you have no other experience of right. it. Right. And, and it it feels like it feels world ending. Yeah. Like breakups always feel like the world ends a little bit. And yeah. like the only thing that gets easier is you know you can get live through it. Right. You know and that you it, know you I, can keep going, and you know you're gonna feel that way, again. and you know it eventually ends. Yeah, but like that first time, you don't know that, and no. yeah, it just like is. Oh, it was so hard. Yeah, it's really challenging, and I, it's fun to see when the breakup happens. Ginger goes through like the sort of stages of grief, absolutely, which I distinctly remember going through when my first relationship happened, like broke up in high school of like the bargaining of no, things have just been weird. Like we can fix this. We can work on it. And then, you know, the depression and the anger anger of like, how could you do this to me? Yeah. It's just really, it's really interesting to see the like full emotional, like range of reaction. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. And I know those first ones can be really hard to like move all the way through. Like I probably didn't get through all five stages of grief over my first relationship. Like we, I, my first real heartbreak was at like 16, 17. Uh-huh. And I probably wasn't like fully over it until I was like 21. Yeah. Um, Just because like, I also like, tend to ruminate and hold on to things and it took me a while to like have the space to actually let go of all of that feeling all those feelings i really appreciate like ginger also gets a double whammying like her appendix bursts right right, like immediately Immediately. after like the same night yeah Yeah. which is sucks right but like to that she like mentioned she says something while she's in the hospital of like the only person I want to talk to uh, about this is Darren right. and, and to, you can't you can't and that I think it that loss of like confidant and like someone who sees you and like that connection yeah. is more painful than the loss of like romantic interest because totally. like you've built a world together. Yeah. You created, like, you have your own language, you have your own mannerisms, you have all of these inside jokes, you have yeah. all of these experiences together. And at that moment, it feels like you'll never have them again. Yeah. And especially with Darren and Ginger, because they've been friends forever and they're neighbors. And right. They've, 
like even before there was a romantic aspect, he still probably would have been the person that she called to talk about a situation like this. And I, I, for her, it's got to be a kind of a, a a double whammy in that way that it feels like maybe we can still be friends again, but for right now we can't, we can't. And so she lost a boyfriend and a, a friend best friend yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And it doesn't help that he said one of the worst things you can ever say at a breakup, that it's easier with someone else. Ooh, yeah. She's like, cause like they're just different people. Like this happens with middle school and high school relationships. You become different people because you're growing. You're growing so much. And like, you just don't mash anymore and yeah. that's totally fine. But like, to say that it's just easier with Simone because you have common interests is like as someone who's told me like it's not easy to date you or it's easier with someone else it's gut-wrenching yeah it feels really bad it feels like uh, a referendum on your overall quality as a human being yeah it does when it is actually just like uh, not everybody's personalities are compatible exactly like i interact with plenty of people that i'm like nope this ain't it like we're never gonna be no best friends and that's fine um but yeah in a romantic relationship it it feels a lot worse it feels a lot worse and it like it makes you doubt yourself in a way that like i haven't felt like self-betrayal in other ways it may it's like one of those moments that has you like rechecking in with reality and like shifting your perspective of like am like am i have i been misunderstanding everything that's been happening did i like miss a bunch of like and especially i think as someone who's neurodivergent who didn't realize it until later in life of like realize like going back and thinking over did i miss these social cues that i wasn't aware of what part of it was me not understanding and what part of it was me uh, purposely not understanding right and I think it's really hard to get your reality shifted yeah. and find your feet again. Yeah, I definitely think now with the with the perspective of, of knowing fully who I am now, all the relationships where it seemed really difficult and where the other person found someone with whom it was easier were just chemistry mismatches they were just brain mismatches the people i was dating either were too straight to date someone as gay as i am yep or they were too neurotypical to understand the way that my brain works and that i don't mean to offend you when i go on a rant for five minutes i just literally can't stop myself right um and yeah it it's hard not to associate those things with a quality judgment um, especially when you don't have, you know, when you're a weird kid, you don't have a lot of experience with interacting with other people who are like you. Right. And so it is very isolating where it feels like I finally found a person who could love and understand me and I can't even be good enough for them. Yeah. And now, like, now that I've met my spouse... I I totally understand what was missing in those previous relationships because we are are such a perfect match in queerness and transness and mental health 
and like all of that stuff that it it's sort of like eye opening of like oh people like me do exist right. like there are other people who are gonna understand what being in my head is like right yeah but it just feels like for for people like us it takes way too long oh, to get forever. to there we got to talk about the ending with the uh, the drag god do we okay it's literally the only kind of reference we can point to as queer yeah yeah so if you didn't watch the end of this like there's a whole plot about uh dr dave's mom doing some elaborate scheme to try and break up their marriage yeah which is like wow that's a whole thing we could talk about that separately yeah but then, yeah, the reveal at the end is that the woman they hired to do um, the sabotage, all the sabotage is actually like a man in drag, which very much feels like this was in the culture. Yeah. In the like 90s and early 2000s yeah. of like the greatest fear is accidentally being attracted to a man. Yeah. Or a trans woman. Heaven yeah. forbid. Yeah, it definitely feels it felt really out of place. Yeah, it kind of yeah, it felt like yeah, where did this come from? Like this show is so empathetic. And it also feels like the plot line was very like it feels very like it was thrown in yeah at the end cuz like we wouldn't have known unless like uh Noel Sussman did some weird right side plot shit yeah that like took two seconds and like had no other proof and it just like i don't know i think it definitely shows that these i mean maybe it doesn't matter like maybe they were all produced at the same time but it definitely feels like the back half of this season three was phoned in a little bit. Yeah, it does. Like, even just the back quarter. Because, like, I'm looking at the Wikipedia, and um, the first 12 episodes of season three aired on Nickelodeon, like everything else. Right. And then it got moved to Nicktoons briefly. And then the whole last part of the series just never aired. It got, like, taken off the air. Interesting. Um, and I don't know. With a lot, I think with a lot of animation, this stuff is like batch produced. So right. maybe it's this isn't the case, but it definitely feels like there's less thought yeah. put into some of these later episodes and more just like cartoon hijinks. Yeah, it does. Especially the last episode with the wedding, it feel, felt very like hijinks heavy and yeah. like not really true to what Ginger has been about and how Ginger runs. Yeah. I think part of it is, you know, it's hard to end a series. We right. all watched Lost and Game of Thrones. We know how hard it can be to wrap up all the all the endings oh game of thrones but uh yeah i kind of like fully forgot game of thrones like existed because the ending was so bad i did too i just got reminded of it the other day because someone of a meme comparing it to avatar oh of a movie that we all got really excited about and then oh no about how uh the show avatar has better storytelling than game of thrones oh the show avatar the last airbender yeah 
Got it. Got it. But I also forgot about the blue people. Yeah. There's a second one of those coming out this year. I know. That seems insane. Where has James Cameron been? He's probably been in a submarine in the ocean like he does every time he takes a 10-year gap between movies. Does he really? Yeah, like that's what happened. I'm like actually sitting on the edge of my seat about this. Yeah, so, like, that was, there's a big gap between, like, he does, like, his in terms of his famous movies, Aliens in 86, right. The Abyss in 89, right. Terminator 2 in 91. So those are all bang, 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 right. back to back. Three-year gap, True Lies, which is, like, eh, eh. kind of whatever. Another big three-year gap, Titanic. So the thing that I read when Titanic came out, I don't know why I was reading fucking like trade magazines at eight years old or whatever, but was that he had spent a significant portion of the last decade like doing underwater research either in order to make Titanic or that he made Titanic in order to justify all the like weird submarine uh, like research that he had done. I truly think that's what happened with Avatar too is like, yeah, because there's another big gap between his previous movie and Avatar. Yeah. So I think he just like gets too intense with the like background research and forgets that he's a filmmaker and not a documentarian. I smell autism. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I was, I've been watching a lot of documentaries and every time I just go... I think you're autistic, friend. <laughs> I just couldn't give this topic up for some reason. Well, I got news about how your brain works. Uh, I was going to say, you've had that special interest since you were how old? Yeah, right. Oh, so we got to, I think the other big thing we got to talk about in these last handful of episodes is Dave's mom. Yeah, we do. Uh, Dave's mom is a fucking nightmare. Also, is Dr. Dave's name. David Dave because the the woman who is impersonating like an ex of his calls him David Dave at one point uh according to the fandom wiki he is Dr. David Dave that's fucked up how rude but like in the in the IMDb he's just listed as Dr. Dave but then they call her Grandma Dave or Mrs. Dave. Yeah. So I don't know. That's my assumption. But yeah, according to the official fan wiki, he's uh, Dr. David Dave. Don't name your children shit like that. Right? That seems like mean to your child. That's- oh, but um, Mrs. Dave, Dave, Dr. Dave's mom is like fucking horrible. She's like every bit the nightmare of like a silent gen parent who doesn't understand that their child is an adult. Yeah. Yeah. It is. She Which is. like part of it is that Dr. Dave is like kind of spineless and has never like set about a hard boundary in his life. But, but I, I feel mean, like when you have a mom, like he has, I don't blame him who wouldn't respect your boundaries anyway. Like what else? I am sure you, you have learned that setting boundaries is useless. Cause I'm sure he tried as a kid. Right. I bet. And then 
his mom just didn't respect them. She has no sense of boundaries and she undermined his, you know, accomplishments and achievements anyway. Oh my anyway. god, she's definitely not he isn't he's definitely like not the right kind of doctor for her. Yeah. Or, you know, isn't an actual doctor because of whatever reason. Mary. His mother's a nightmare. And yeah, she masterminds this whole plan and recruits like five other people just to try and break up her son's wedding, which I don't think you should meddle in other people's relationships. But even if you're going to do something like this, wouldn't it be a hundred times easier to just sit down with your son and be like, Hey, I don't think this is right for you. I think maybe whatever, whatever her reservations are. Right. But her reservations are she won't have her son to control anymore. Right. It's just that there's going to be a hard boundary that she can't. Because Lois will put up a fight. Exactly. Where she's already conditioned Dave to never put up a fight at any point. Exactly. Controlling parents are awful. Yeah, and yeah, they don't accomplish anything except like stunting their children's development. I mostly because I am a child of like divorce and blended family. And so I want to talk about the the kind of struggle of seeing your parent date and having your life change as your family is integrating into another one. Absolutely. Like I've gone through this process or nearly gone through this process like so many times. Yeah. And I don't know. Somebody says something really um, important in here. That's something like, you know, um, you marry a family. Yeah. Not just another person, especially when you are an adult, potentially with kids, dating other people with kids. Like, it's so important to that all of those relationships are healthy and positive. Yeah. Because it's not fair to that kid, especially to that kid to put their, to backseat their needs as a developing person in order to, Mm -hmm. to like move your own needs. Like, For example, my dad was in a relationship for a really long time where they almost got married. And the woman that he was engaged to despised me, hated everything about me. My dad once um, pulled me aside. Well, you know, I was doing weekends with them at her house. um, Pulled me aside once and said, like, basically gave me a list of all the things that she found obnoxious about me. And told me that, like, it was my responsibility to make myself more palatable to his partner. Which I truly think fucked me up for so long. Because, yeah, I still remember, like, so clearly the conversation of, like, you have to be quieter. You have to make fewer jokes. You have to go on fewer rants and, like... You know, don't be you basically. Yeah. I was like, those are the three points that make up like my personality. Like that's the whole thing that I, you can't be you because I need to get my dick wet. Right. And to have a person like, you know, one of the most like respected figures in your life basically say like everything about you is wrong and it's making my life worse, which is the more important thing here is devastating. It's, gotta be awful it's just like 
it's yeah it's so irresponsible it does i think come from the you know the generation of parenting that didn't really notice or care what was happening with their children right so their long kids as weren't, they were happy yeah kids weren't real people right it feels bad and um i really like that dave works really hard to dave integrate himself works so hard i love dave and carl's relationship i do too it's amazing it's beautiful and dave like embraces him in like in so much the same way that lois does and like right. is even like hey come to be my bring your he even is like, you should come to work with me on bring your kid to work day because I get all of this cool, gross stuff that you're into. Right. And yeah, they get to have that common interest and he meets Carl where he is. Yeah. Right. I had a lot of step parents who were like, this is the, or even, you know, bio parents who were like, this is the thing I'm interested in. And so you have to be interested in this thing also because that's a way we can spend time together. Instead of being like, hey, what is it that you're into that I can contribute to so that you can enjoy the time we spend? Together. Right. right? Like, like what- the amount of time I had to spend fixing cars because I had a stepdad who was really into fixing cars is fucking outstanding. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. And I hate that shit. Like, it's gross. It it hurts like it's hot. I don't like it's dirty. I don't like any part of it at all. Right. Instead of, you know, him working with you on like cooking or something. Right. Like, uh, yeah. A thing we actually both could get into. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I appreciate that. Like Dave makes it very clear that he is not just marrying Lois, but also is like, your kids are here too. Like I am, it's not just you who makes my life better. It's your kids. And it's, you know, I, I want to be part of these kids. I want to be part of their life and not just there. And he also like, doesn't push for any kind, like what kind of relationship that they have with him. Right. And he doesn't like do anything to harm their relationship with their father. Right. Yeah, he's never poison like poisoning them against their dad or and saying anything he's negative even about like, their dad. He even like plays up Jonas for Carl's sake because he sees because he sees like how much Carl is mad at him and he's like tries to get Carl to be more uh forgiving and empathetic to his right. father, which has gotta be a hard thing to do. Yeah. And especially because I we get the impression that that Lois and Jonas have been divorced for a while. Absolutely. And so Carl must have been pretty young when yeah. it happened. I would bet that he has very few memories of, you know, his parents being together. Yeah. So it it feels totally normal for him to be betrayed and to be seeking that paternal relationship in some way where Ginger was older when it happened and also has has worked to rebuild and maintain that relationship with her father. And probably I feel like and I, so she doesn't need or look for Dave in the same sort of, you know, paternal way. Yeah. I also think that Ginger holds her dad in a higher light because she has good memories of him. Exactly. Yeah. And like. Which, like, I personally agree with Carl. I think Jonas is doesn't step up ever. And, no, he definitely needs to step up and more. isn't there. And like Ginger, like he came to Ginger's graduation, and it feels like she forgave him for everything, yeah. even though he has a long history of not showing up. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. I think you see the different relationships that they build with Dave, 
And like Dave is really respectful of Ginger's space, yeah. of who Ginger is, very supportive and like But he's still there. Yeah. Right? Like he's still making himself available even though she's not interested. He doesn't force himself on her, but he also is like, Hey, I know I'm not your dad, but if you need me I'm here. I'm here. Which is great. Like that's everything you want out of a step parent, especially to a teenager. Right. Because like teenagers are already so developed into like young adult people. Right. That I feel like a lot of times step parents to teenagers get into this routine of trying to parent a person who doesn't really need that much parenting. Yeah, that makes sense. Like by the time you're 14 and 15, which is like, that's when my mom got remarried. I was like 14. By that point, not only did I have a relationship with multiple dads, but like I kind of was already doing my own thing. I didn't need someone to be my dad because you know, I was filthy with parents and also like I didn't really need my parents by that point right. at all. Yeah, especially the way your mother raised you. Exactly. So it really chafed against me for a long time that he clearly wanted me to be his kid and I was not interested in him at all being my parent. Right. That makes sense. I knew I was just going to like maybe unnecessarily drag up a bunch of stuff from my teenagehood around this episode but like that's what the podcast is yeah here we are i was gonna say darren breaking up with ginger brought up a lot of shit that i was not prepared for and didn't want to face but here we are and uh, i had to i wrote in my notes i would kill to have an overzealous kid to help plan my wedding (laughs) (laughs) do you know how i'm doing it right now and do you know how fucking hard and exhausting wedding planning is like I I need to be, especially as, like, a mentally ill neurodivergent person, like, I need to be able to hire someone to organize all that stuff for me. Because even just, like, setting all the appointments to go see all the things, yeah. that's already too much brain work for me. Yeah, that's... Much less the actual decision-making of, like, what food are we serving? What cake are we serving? What do the flowers look like? What does my dress look like? All of that stuff is too much information. I could do one of those things, but I need a wedding planner to sit me down and be like, okay, we are just talking about your dress and then I'll find my dress and then we'll go, okay, we are just talking about the cake and we'll get the cake. Like I, I don't have the processing power to be able to deal with all that stuff at right. all, all the time. It's too much. Yeah, it seems too much. It seems like a lot to handle by yourself and I really wish wedding planners were more accessible yeah it seems like rich people are the people who need that time and energy burden taken off of them the least yeah right because they work the least they have the least other struggle in their life and yet they're the only people with access to that kind of service because it is prohibitively expensive to pay someone to plan your wedding. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Getting married, it seems like the whole process seems very like gatekeepy and incredibly expensive, expensive. I intend to tell no one that I'm doing all this stuff for my wedding. 
Like as far as as far as the venues and the bakers and the florists are concerned, this is just a party. Right. Like we are having a party. Because as soon as you say wedding, the cost doubles. Right. Like as you can get a cake for thirty dollars, but as soon as you say wedding cake is a seventy five dollar cake. Yeah. And like I don't that doesn't make fucking sense. No, it's right? your anniversary it's party. It's the same thing like when you go on a honeymoon, right? Like right. you can get a suite in a hotel that costs you $200 a night. But if you tell them it's a honeymoon, then your suite suddenly costs twice that. Right. It's so stupid. The whole wedding industry is a lot and disgusting and full of a lot of money gatekeeping bullshit. Yeah, I was and- going to say, do you think it's like a capital, like, do you think some of the rushing people to get married and to commit is a capitalist scheme to keep feeding money into the absolutely like, wedding industrial complex? Absolutely. Absolutely. I used to think I was going to get married. Yeah. And like, I had the dream and like, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. I I, to, I I still can't get to the concept of me dating right now. So <laughs> marriage is a whole nother chapter away. Yeah. I used to feel exactly the opposite for the longest time. Like, I think I related a lot to Ginger in these episodes feeling really, you know, jaded and cynical about love and relationships because she is a child of divorce right? and because she has seen it cause so much strife in her life. Right. Um, and I felt that way for a long time. Like before my parents got divorced, my ha- like they were incredibly unhappy for an incredibly long period of time. And it made my house very unsafe. Right. In a way that made me never want to create that kind of environment again. Right. And, to take so and to be so conservative with my feelings so as to never leave open the opportunity to create that kind of life again. Yeah. And that's not any kind of way to live. No. Like you can't live a whole life never opening your heart, hoping that it won't get hurt. Yeah. But also I think this is a responsibility of parents thing to like model healthy relationships. Oh, absolutely. To their kids. Or, you know, if you don't have it at home, you have it at school where you can learn about it. Right. Because like, which like I didn't have, no, I don't think I knew what like a healthy adult relationship looked like until I was like in high school and going to other people's like houses and seeing how their parents interacted. Because it is, it is irresponsible for us to assume that every kid is going to have a good childhood. Should they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it going to happen? No. Not in the current yeah, environment not, we yeah. have. Uh, in our communist utopia, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, if we lived in the Federation, yes. But, <laughs> you know, we live in this hellscape. So, no. And it is so irresponsible. And I'm know I've been on this soapbox already today, but I'm getting back on it because it's so fucking important like that we don't teach any kind of emotional literacy or any kind of self-recognition and self-exploration is so detrimental to everything that we do and could solve so many of our goddamn problems. Teach people how to feel things. It's so frustrating. Teach people how to face themselves. It's so important. 
Because, like, it should not cost me thousands of dollars and six years to do this kind of work. Yeah. You know, I should have been able to start understanding myself and doing this work when I was 10. Right. When it would have been so much easier because I didn't have to undo years and years of trauma and denial and hurt and all this other stuff yeah the last big point i have is it's a short thing in the episode but i think it's a big topic to talk about dave dr dave's friends are planning a bachelor party for him or attempt to or attempt to and like while i don't think the idea of a bachelor or bachelorette party is inherently bad um i do think the idea of like you can never have fun again once you're married the culture around it is terrible terrifying um and also like the things that these friends describe as being like the glorious days of being a bachelor are literally just no one is holding me accountable for care tasks right like it's literally just like, oh, I want to fall asleep on the couch in my clothes and order takeout all the time and never wash the dishes and never take out the trash. It's like, oh, so you you literally want to like be a child and live in mess and now you need a mommy to crack the whip and keep you being an adult. And you you resent your wife for making you be an adult. Yeah. And like this is a thing where... You know, I don't date men really, so like this doesn't come up for me. But this is a thing I've heard from a lot of like women who date men where men will put up this front pretending to be adults. And then as soon as the opportunity is presented to them to not be adults, they have to they take it right. Yeah. They suddenly become useless and unable unable to do like. And it usually doesn't take that long. It's like, it's ridiculous. The, like, the moment that you, the moment you expect a man to step up, they won't. Right. They will, the audacity and the ego. Right. That they will assume that you will do all of the work for them. Because we don't. Because we don't socialize them from an early age to take responsibility. No. And we socialize femmes too. Right. Growing up. My little brother had some behavioral issues and had a had a he had a temper. My brother had a temper, and a lot of the time, it felt like when we got into fights, it fell back onto me to to manage it. Right, to like it's your responsibility to manage his emotions. Right, like oh well, you know what it sets him off, or you should turn the other cheek, or right. if he's bothering you, fight back. And then if I fight back, I'm the one who gets in trouble. Right. Don't tell me that 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 pisses me off. Don't tell me to push back if you're. I'm gonna get in trouble for pushing. Right. Let me set my hard boundaries. Yeah. Let me, you know, like lightning let's round. do a lightning round. Quitting coffee cold turkey is one of the worst experiences of my life, and I will never do it again. Yeah, every time I've done it, it's been horrible. It's like, been awful. I just, as a, I just did it recently. Same. Quit coffee again, and it sucks, and my head was screaming, and I was, like, asleep for, like, a week and a half. Uh, it was the worst, and I am such a bitch when I don't drink coffee, when yeah. I get off coffee. No freshman on the JV if, and... On like no freshman on sports teams is a stupid rule. It's a really stupid rule, especially if they're like dedicated 
and good the way Dodie clearly is. Yeah. You don't have to prove, like, the fact that you have to like, suffer to prove yourself worthy of the team first is bullshit. I think a lot of that goes back to the sort of, like, religious fundamentalism of this country where we feel like you need to suffer in order to earn anything. That, like, pain and punishment is an essential part of, like, growing up and being an adult and especially, like, being a teen growing into an adult. And I just think it's not true. Like, I just think that it's it's a toxic, bad message that encourages people to be horrible to each other. Yeah. Right. Because it's like, well, sack up. This is what the world is like. You need to be prepared to like, no. Yeah. No. If we were all kind and generous and met each other where we were, the world truly could be a kind and empathetic place. But because we've decided that that's not a possibility, then the only rational response is to be mean to everyone around. I have another note where the pep squad coach says to Dodie, no one cut me any slack. Like, so why, why continue that trend? It's that same thing of like, well, I paid off my student loans, so you should have to. It's like I suffered. So everyone behind me has to suffer, which is, again, like kind of the abuse cycle thing right. that we have dealt with with boomer parents of like, well, you should be lucky because my parents beat me with a belt. And it's like, well, just because you're not hitting me doesn't mean you're not abusing me. And just because you got abused doesn't mean you get to abuse others. Exactly. Like precisely. I'm sorry that you feel like you need to, and that is the damage that has been done to you. Right. But hurting people is not okay. Yeah, the amount of my abuse as a kid that was pawned off as like, well, I could be hitting you. Yeah. Is frankly heartbreaking. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. Oh, um, this is a tiny one, but when Ginger get when Ginger breaks up or, or when Ginger gets broken up with um, her friends are actually like very helpful in general, like yes. trying to get her to like do things and like be a person. And Macy suggests like finding a hobby. Yeah, she does. Although she recommends like something violent, which like I don't think violent catharsis is like a useful or good thing to no. do with your emotions ever. Um, but I do think that's genuinely good advice. Yeah. Like, I wish someone had told me that when I went through my first big breakup because I think I had too much free time and yeah I turned a lot of that energy into self-destruction yeah in a really really bad way where yeah. I could have poured myself into something productive instead yeah. I am so glad Lois went to the school and chewed out the t- uh, teacher and principal for Car- yes. because of how they treated Carl yeah, absolutely. Like, it needed to be done. And like, yeah. again, she's a working mom and she even says, I'm taking the day to do this because she knew it was important that right. her son was being uh, doing her son's teachers were doing him a disservice and her actively hurting him. Right. So she by stepped like, the fuck up by literally just like discriminating against him yeah. because of his history. And like, this is how this is how you get the school to prison pipeline. Y'all like. Granted, Carl is a white kid, so like whatever, whatever. He still has white privilege, but this is what happens, right? Like kids don't fit in in school because school culture is white. 
And so they have behavior problems or they have what's the what do they call it? Oppositional defiance disorder, which is literally just like I don't fit into culture and culture doesn't care. So therefore, I have a pathology. I fight against the authority that is actively suppressing me. Right. And then that record gets passed on. You get branded as like a bad kid. And you continue to get more and more punishment, more and more detention, which just further serves to remove you from your community and remove you from a support structure until the only choice is something like crime. Yeah. Is something like, you know, whatever, running with a bad crew doing bad things because they'll accept anyone. Yeah. Um. Um. I also like this definitely is reflective of my experience but maybe you will relate to this when lois finds ginger sick in her room when she had Mm -hmm. her appendix burst my initial thought immediately was that she tried to kill herself yeah same which like i mean that is reflective of like my experience as a child yeah i just think i just think it's like a fucked up window into my head that that thought is so present in my head that whenever I see someone go through an emotional trauma and then go through a physical one, I assume that it's self it's self induced. Yeah. I, I'm glad I wasn't the only one who thought it good. I thought maybe you would relate to that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh, are we doing a suicide episode? Yeah. I fully thought that's where this was. Another sad thought. I was slightly surprised that we didn't have a school shooting episode. Yeah. Cause that's really common in uh, school TV shows now. And this was, I mean, I think this was kind of in the era when we were still trying not to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I definitely feel like immediately after Columbine, there was a push of like clear backpacks and metal detectors and like officers in schools and that kind of thing. And then there was just like five, six, ten years where we were just like, let's just pretend it's not happening. We're just going to ignore it. We're just going to ignore it and hope it goes away on its own, which it did not. That almost never happens. Um I'm always ranting about Carl's like capitalist schemes. So I would not feel right if I didn't take a moment in these last episodes. It's bad to mention that, of course, he gets into real estate. Yeah. Which is the ultimate capitalist scam. Like monetizing things that people need to live safely is fucking evil yeah it is like selling products making things for people the tea thing i think is like actually a really good idea yeah i like that a lot but commodifying housing is fucking evil landlords are evil house flippers are evil developers are evil yeah the whole fact that we have to pay for a place to live is evil yeah the whole system's evil if you put your friend if you put your sport before your friendship you're a bad friend yeah I can't forgive Dodie for that. No. Yeah. It's really, it's really irresponsible. And like Dodie shows herself to be a bad friend over and over again. Yeah, she and does. This like, this would have been kind of the last straw for yeah. me. Um, you know, if I hadn't already. You know, dumped her as a friend. Yeah, exactly. I would have, I would have gotten in so many fights with Dodie. Yeah. 
I really love this Thanksgiving episode, mostly because I am a sucker for Thanksgiving. Yeah. It is like the only holiday where I get an excuse to feed like a dozen people and there's no mention of Jesus the whole time. Yeah, it's really nice. Perfect. I like that we have talking animals uh, near the end. Yeah, the whole end. That's like the whole last couple episodes gets weird as fuck. Like Noel Sussman is like a psychic ninja. Yeah. It's weird, It's man. real weird. Man, wheels are off the cart in those last couple episodes. I just want to talk about... Oh, speaking of Buzz. Um, Buzz's trailer Yeah. Um, in the trailer park is literally like my nightmare. There's just like boy children running around screaming, no structure, no real like... It's scary. ...consequence or anything of any kind. And it's clear that they are misbehaving in order to get attention. Yeah. Like, literally, when he walks outside, one of the kids said, like, they're naming things like, give me this, give me that. And one of the kids is like, I want positive reinforcement. And it literally broke my heart. It broke my heart so Because bad. so many kids grow up like this. I mean, how many movies have we watched where the poor kid who is lives in a trailer or, you know, has a bad home life acts out at school or acts out in their life in order to get some kind of attention from an adult. Looking at you, The Craft. Right. I mean, yeah. The Craft was the one I was thinking of specifically, but like 13. Yeah. Like. Uh, it's a common. You know, a hundred other things. Yeah. It's very common. Freaks and Geeks. I yeah. was just I just rewatched Freaks and Geeks, which we are definitely going to do on the show at some point. Nice. That's uh, that's an arc in that show, too. Yeah, it's it happens a lot. Um, so I just want to, because this is our last ginger episode, I kind of want to do just like a overall overview. Like, how do you feel about this show? What do you think are like the positive and negative messages from this show? What does this say about girlhood in general? Um, I think this show is a really good depiction of girlhood yeah, especially in the definitely. like seventh to ninth grade era for sure i think the writing is incredible i think the storytelling is really good i think it's lacking in gay people but it is a piece of its time right definitely um for its time it's really diverse which i really appreciate totally um and like i love the body uh diversity as well and like how like gross and weird bodies are in this show. Yeah. Um, I think it has a lot of good messages of like being yourself, putting your friendships first. Uh-huh. Uh, growth is okay. Uh, I don't know. I really liked it. I did too. I really held up, which the, I was really happy the about. The queer thing was the hardest thing for me. I do think this show does a really good job of telling adults, like giving adult messages and um, telling adult stories that are relatable to children. Absolutely. I think they balance the hijinks of a cartoon really well with the actual like lived emotional experience of being a child and how hard and how big it can feel. Absolutely. I don't know that we're going to find another show that balances those things as well. I have very high doubts. Um, I think generally they lean 
more towards the hijinks or sometimes too far into the emotional stuff where it can get yeah, kind exactly. of like public service announcement y. Yeah. And and the one thing I really want to say about the girlhood part, I mean, I feel like we talk about this in a lot when we talk about movies that we liked, but I really like that there's not a prescription on what it means to be a girl. Yeah, for real. And what the experience should be like. Yeah. Um, it shows a lot of different varieties of girl and girlhood. Between like, you know, different like desires and interest in emotion, like romantic relationships and activities and like art versus academics versus athletics. Like none of those things are maybe athletics is like shit on and downplayed a little bit in kind of a way that's maybe warranted. But I feel like all that stuff is presented in a really equitable way where whatever kind of kid you are, this show would like supports you. This show uplifts your voice in a way that is really cool and I definitely think uh, connected with me as a kid. When yeah, I, this I show. like. I can definitely see why I loved this show so much as a kid, yeah. and I could have like I felt really seen even as an adult in this series.